welcome to another episode of the Comedy Mom Podcast. I am Katie Ipok, your Comedy Mom, and we are on week nine of the New Year New Joke series here on the podcast. And today we're talking about something that I actually think is really important, and that is mental health, which I'm sure you're thinking, Katie, why? Why are we talking about this shit? Um, I need to find out where I found this statistic because I find myself quoting it a lot. But it was something I read within the first year when I started comedy that like outside of actually dangerous professions. So outside of police officers, firefighters, um, those in the military, outside of those professions, stand up comics have one of the lowest life expectancies. And I think we can all admit that that's a thing. We lose a lot of comics early to mental health issues and drug use issues. And so I'm really excited to share my interview with Christy Collins. You might know her as Trauma Queen Christy. Um, we were talking all about dancing with your demons and the unintended consequences to your mental health, right? When we use our past traumas as motivation for our material. And the thing is, audiences want us to be vulnerable. They want to see us talk about our shadows. I've always said that our job is to shine bright lights into dark corners and make hard things easier to talk about. Um, so it's important to be mindful that we need to take care of ourselves mentally while we work with our darkness. And I feel like Hannah Gatsby is a really good example of this. Her last two specials, a lot of what I call old school comics have kind of been shitting on Hannah Gatsby, right? Because it wasn't straight stand-up. And I think, although audiences absolutely want us to give them as many punchlines as possible and make things as funny as possible, I think audiences are tired of jokes that are jokes, just jokes. I think audiences are tired of airplane food jokes. I think audiences are tired, honestly, of stand-up comics, at least at our level, right? Again, small town comic. I think audiences, when they come to shows like ours, are tired of even jokes about the news or jokes about um, political figures or celebrities. I think right now, especially what the universe is going through, it is all about being honest and being real and playing with that darkness. And so that's why I'm super stoked for this interview and why I put it together. So as always, I've got a weekly challenge for you on the other side of this interview. So come join me on this amazing journey with Christy Collins from Trauma Queen Christy. You want me to start? Oh, I just did. <laughs> All right. Next up for New Year's New Jokes, I have Christy Collins a licensed therapist. And you might be wondering, Katie, why are we talking about a therapist? And we're going to cover that. But first, Christy, tell us about yourself. Um, well, I'm a 5'9", uh, non-smoking, fun-loving Taurus. <laughs> anyway, no. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a licensed therapist and also have, um, my big thing is I'm a writer and a speaker and I, a public speaker, motivational speaker, and do workshops on trauma so my Insta and all my public stuff is Trauma Queen Christy. Um, and yeah, I, I am really excited to do this because I think there's a huge parallel. I love this quote that's those who have the greatest capacity for good or light also have the greatest capacity for evil or dark, right? And I think that like that of uh, the light and the dark are two sides of the same coin. And I love like the thought of like delving into that and exploring the shadow. So thank you for having me. 
dude, I'm so stoked to have this conversation. So <laughs> uh, this year's kind of writer's intensive has kind of turned in what I've called the great premise hunt of 2021. And we've discovered through, you know, through these interviews with the road comics that the best way to develop material is to look at your own life. And I think as much as we as comics look at our life currently, we also tend to look at our past. And I always think back to the advice that I got in the, you know, in the first couple months of comedy, where I was told like the thing that really scared me, the thing that really hurt, the thing that was the biggest pain is the thing that I should try to write about, which granted has turned into some of my best material. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think there could be some reasons to kind of talk about that. And the first thing I wanted to ask you about is what could be some maybe unintended consequences to your mental health um, by exploring past trauma? Um, you know, it's funny. I think like it's, it's when trauma is unresolved that it becomes a little bit risky for us because especially if you have PTSD or you've had any major, um, okay, I'm going to backtrack because I want to put this disclaimer out here that trauma is relative. And what I mean by that is like you and I could be in a car accident together. I could like, you know, break my wrist and have a scratch And you could be like in a full body cast for a month in the hospital. And we went through the same experience. My injuries were less, but depending on, you know, personality, resiliency, intellect, all of those things, I could walk out and not want to get in a car again for a year. And you could walk out or get wheeled out in this case and be like, I'm cool, bitches, let's do this. Right. So I think like when I say trauma is relative, like, you know, some people might have PTSD from, um, something that wouldn't phase other people. And so when I go into PTSD too, that's like an, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder and that's an official diagnosis. And what would um, indicate that is like a functional impairment, but also we can just have trauma and be jacked up from it and not have a full diagnosis either. And I'm super conservative and weird about diagnosing because I, I just labels, right. And I don't love those unless we have to have them for absolute necessity. So I think that the thing is, is that when you're digging into um, trauma and you have some unresolved things like our, our brains, I mean, our subconscious, we don't, we only access 10% of our brain. So our subconscious has all of these things that are deep and buried. Um, and some of them we might be slightly aware of, and some of them we might like not know what the fuck is happening. And it just, something sneaks up and that's where it can become um, detrimental to you to dig into that to that extent. And we all know, you think about performers who like Heath Ledger is a great example who, um, you know, it was his craft. It wasn't comedy, but it was still performance. And he, you know, he became the Joker and he had some darkness and some unresolved things and, and, uh, and then was kind of using substances to deal with that. And, um, you know, all of the combination of those things led to his death. And so I think that, that you run those risks whenever you're accessing like parts of your subconscious or parts of your past, your history. And so that said, the other side of it is that there's a huge catharsis to it. Right. Um, and I think that it can be used as an opportunity to, uh, to deal with some of those things and resolve. And, um, maybe, you know, something comes up that you weren't aware of, but then that gives you the opportunity to like grow from it and then to get some awesome material, hopefully in the future. Right. Well, and that's, you know, I, I tell people all the time that like part of my job as a comedian is to shine bright lights into dark corners. 
and make really tough topics easier to talk about. Like that's, that's really as the new, as the new jesters, you know, some people say that comedians are the new philosophers. Like that's, that's what we add to society. Right. But that does come at a little, I think comes to a little bit of a personal cost to the performer. And I forget where I heard it or where I read it once. And who knows if it's actually true, but I read that outside of like first responder careers. So outside of like police, firefighters, military personnel, that kind of stuff. Um, stand-up comics have one of the lowest life expe- expectancy rates. And a lot of that has to do with like drugs and alcohol and suicide and the stuff that. Right. And I always wonder if part of that correlation just comes from all of us digging in mm-hmm. to that past and having to write about it. Um, so I guess my question would be, what advice would you have for us as comics as we're kind of going down these paths and working through it? Like what, what advice would you have to kind of help counteract the negative possible possibilities? Right. Well, okay. First of all, I want to say, I think there's something like, I like what you said about the shining the light into dark corners. And I think, you know, Ernest Hemingway <laughs> um, said, talk about, I mean, it was, it was different, but a writer and, you know, an alcoholic, right? And he said, write hard and write clear about what hurts. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about. And that's exactly what you're doing. And I think that that is, um, that's how we create art. That's how we create the light in the darkness, right? And so I think that that is a special gift and it's amazing. And I would definitely um, encourage not just, I mean, comics, but any any writers or any artists to really dig in and, and write hard and clear about what hurts. But I think that it's it's one of those things that, I wonder, because I'm not a comedian, comic, um, do you prefer comic or comedian? Does um, it, matter? it doesn't really matter. Either side. There's not like a PC situation. Okay. No. <laughs> I need to make sure because I'm a dumb hillbilly. The only thing I would say is don't say comedian or female okay. comic. Don't gender it. But other than that. Right. Because you wouldn't say I'm a female therapist. Yeah. Right. Mama knows. Um, Therapy pista I don't know, I don't know <laughs> yeah um so I would say the biggest thing is is know yourself really well and and that is you know within your work and outside of your work and I encourage I encourage everybody to go to therapy I'm like a the mom who's like I know you probably don't want to eat the damn broccoli but I'm going to put it on your plate anyway because you know and I really believe in my field and I think that digging in and exploring different parts of your psyche and processing through your experiences and they're they're that's an amazing gift for anybody and I, I I always think it's funny when people are so resistant to it because I'm like you get to sit in a room and talk about yourself for an hour, 50 minutes, but anyway, um, we do 50 minute sessions, but, um, anyway, and I, I think though that that's really beneficial. So it's like, if you're a pro athlete and you're, you know, I mean, I'm sure that, you know, Michael Phelps does all the training and all the things that, so he knows when he goes out and I don't even know if he's still swimming, but whatever, but he, I am not an athlete, but he goes out and, uh, you know, he's prepared. He prepares himself to be the best that he can at what he does. And I think that when you are doing such emotionally um, taxing and exciting work, that the, the preparation for that is learning about yourself, um, knowing your shit, like keeping your shit in check, 
you know, um, because things can come up and there are going to be residual effects. I mean, I, I think it's like awesome. Like I love, I, I think there's something, it's like that being proactive, like I'm going to beat people to the punch, you know, and like, I'm going to make a joke about, I'm, I'm going to expose my soft underbelly and be like, here it is. Right. And I think there's something so lovely about that because it takes power away from haters so quickly and the negative, and it normalizes all of the human things that we all have. But I think that um, nobody's, nobody is bulletproof for lack of a better term. Nobody walks away unscathed. Um, I know, you know, people when they criticize you or you're exposing something and somebody doesn't receive it well, like, you know, you might be able to keep a poker face, right? But surely that penetrates the armor a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, I guess my biggest advice would be like to know yourself and to do the work and, and I don't want to consume, I can talk forever, but, um, but yeah. And, and there's a thing with shadow work that I, I kind of want to get into that I think would be particularly important, uh, for, for comics, yeah. male and female <laughs> and otherwise. Well, and this kind of leads into another question I had and basically something I want to dispel. Um, the idea that artists have to be tortured souls and if we get therapy and we do that work we will become less proficient as artists right you know and I think that um I mean I guess I can't completely completely speak to that I think it's like you know would Hemingway have been as good of an author had he sobered up I you know I we don't know because he didn't and but I, I think that um, knowing yourself and digging deeper can actually be a huge strength because I think you're probably going to be able to access some things and understand them in a better way and therefore write about them in a more efficient way than if, you, if you're just kind of like speaking off the cuff. And I've heard, um, you know, comedians that like sound like a hot mess, right? Or they're kind of all over the place and you're like, I don't, I don't really know. And all they're doing is just making fun of themselves for being fat, but it wasn't really funny. And so sometimes I, I, and then there's others that, you know, are hilarious, but, and so for me, I just feel like if you can know and understand yourself at a better level, like how would that not be a better presentation to the world and a more organized, um, thought out presentation. So I guess, uh, the, the tortured artist thing is, um, I mean, I guess it's okay if, but like you said, comics have this short life expectancy. Like, what do you, I would ask, just like ask everybody in therapy, like, what do you want for yourself in 10 years? Do you want to be like, you know, a coked out loser on your deathbed? Or do you want to like be thriving and still, you know, working your craft? Right. No, that's, that's, I, I would agree with that. And I think, um, well, I, in some ways, I think kind of getting your shit together will help you be a better comic just because it's not, it won't be your only form of therapy anymore. So you'll be right. able to go into shows healthier, go into shows clear, you know, cause you're not feeling like you have to drink so much or, you know, taking a bunch of bumps of cocaine or whatever. And then I think it will, I think it will help maybe when you get off stage too, because um, I didn't prep you for this, but one thing I've noticed for myself, and I noticed it a lot, you were actually there. 
the first and only time so far that I did a full hour of comedy. And I, yeah. And um, I noticed after that, like, I was so drained, Mm -hmm. just exhausted, which surprises me because like, I'm not a really physical comic. I don't move around a lot, but it was like an hour. You your soul. Yeah. Right. Um, and I can only imagine if, you know, if I was went and got trashed right after that, like might not be in the best mental position to make decisions for myself. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, at least I just went home and just microwaved four burritos. Like at least, you know, like (laughs) getting a lot of trouble with that. Yeah. Well, at least Um, you didn't stop at at Taco Bell. You're so thrifty. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, and I think that there's a self-care component to it. Right. And so anytime, I mean, as a therapist, if I sit for even six, I don't like to do more than like four to five hours of therapy a day because it's, it's, it's draining. Um, and if I sit in a room for, you know, six, seven, eight hours, and then I just like leave and go take care of my kids and clean up the house and, numb out and do whatever and don't tend to my own needs like eventually I'm gonna crash you're gonna hit a wall and crash no matter what you do I mean with any career and so I think like why would why would comedy be any different than that you know I think like the idea when you were talking about about that I was thinking about like I about said old school well old school like literally the movie old school (laughs) but um like I was thinking about you know the group of of comedians and uh, like Ben Swan and you know Adam Sandler and this group of comedians that we had and like this idea of like this party crazy lifestyle and um you know and and all that but I heard this story which I thought was actually kind of lovely because a lot of I mean they're all kind of like old and settled down and you know stabilized for what we know celebrities but I heard this story about Will Ferrell um, on a podcast and somebody was talking about him and how he's you know everybody knows whether you love him or hate him well we know Will Ferrell right and he um, they were like he is the weirdest comedian ever because he's like super nice he doesn't drink very much he like has been married to the same woman for all these years and he goes home and he's got these kids and it's like you know they were like yeah Will Ferrell like has like two or three drinks he always drinks the right amount and is really polite and gracious to people and he totally did not live does not live that rock and roll lifestyle and I just think I'm like and I remember thinking like good on Will Ferrell like look at that self-care you know what I mean and and um, I don't think that's obviously impacted his career in a negative way right um like I said whether you love him or hate him the guy has a great career uh but you know and I think I think about that and like the stereotype I'm not a comedian I'm not in that world but the stereotype of like yeah like everybody's funny and then you drink a lot and you know do some blow and be crazy and and uh and I appreciate like what you're trying to do uh to bring up these topics and to talk about like okay but obviously that's not your, you know, for burrito life. So, so then, you know, what do you do for longevity? Like, do you, you know, cause that burnout of that lifestyle is going to be pretty rapid. Right. I would, I mean, unless you're like one of those freakish people that are like really lucky that do all that stuff and live to be 80 or whatever, right. but that's probably the exception, not the rule. Right. 
Oh, I, I would think so. Plus stuff like that, like it really, it puts your, it puts your comedy career at risk. I know as a, as a booker and a producer, like I can't have comics like that in rooms because it puts, you know, the, the venues OLCC license at risk, the more erratic a comic is, the less likely I'm to book them because they become a risk. Like um, there's something to be said about not giving in to that stereotype, I guess. Mm -hmm. For sure. Right. And I, I mean, I don't know. It seems like there are a lot of comics that are really successful. And in order to be successful at anything, you kind of have to have your shit together. Right. I agree. So yep. I would say overall, you know, um, I don't think that, that some of these people with these like major careers are out like being reckless and maybe the ones that are, are the ones that we know that, that didn't have a longevity or died. Right. I think so. Yeah. So backing up a bit, you mentioned shadow work. I'm really, yes. Let's talk about that. Okay. So our shadow, everybody has a shadow. And so the things that you think about um, for the good and bad that you see in other people, things that just make you irate or bother you or things that you admire, that's all a part of you, right? So we all have this shadow side that maybe other people can see some of the darkness and we're not able to see it until we pull that shadow out and we play with it. And there's a little bit of a risk. And this is kind of what I see. Um, and this is why I wanted to bring this up. This is what I see you guys doing. So there's a little bit of a risk in that when people really dig in, and I, I would imagine as you are writing comedy, you dig into that shadow side quite a bit. And it creates a good show. It creates good material. Um, the risk is, is that once you pull that shadow out, and it's, it, you're playing with it, it's sometimes stuffing it back in is really hard and people can tend to get a little bit lost in it. So one of two things generally happen, especially if you've really pulled something out. And, and I'm sure as a writer, I'm a writer, you know, obviously I write psychology jargon, but <laughs> like, um, but I also have written a lot about my own personal story and trauma and, and like, as I'm writing and as you're writing, I'm sure like things come out that you're almost like when you're in the flow, you're surprised by it. It's kind of shocks you, takes you off guard or whatever, but then, you know, like there's that buzz, right? Like, oh, I'm feeling this, like, this is good shit. Right. Yeah. And I think, and that's awesome. But, but then what do you do with it? So if you try to shove it back in a lot of times, like, oh, it's there, like it's already come out to play. So you can, sometimes people get lost in it. And that's where like the therapeutic stuff or just, and it's not even just about talk therapy. It's about like understanding yourself and your, and your issues and um, some of your darkness, because we can play with our darkness in a responsible way that, you know, can be really, really um, beneficial to us artistically, but then we can integrate it. So that's the other option with a shadow is, is so how do you take that? Like once you've pulled something out and once you're kind of living it in it and you get a little bit of a high from it too, like it, there's, I, I mean, I can, I get it <laughs> in that oh, yeah. regard. Oh, yeah. You get, yeah, you get a little bit of a high from it and you know, it's good. So then instead of staying stuck in it, like, how do you take that and integrate that into your life? Which I think comedians do that. You're, you're integrating it into your work 
into a part of um, your identity and everything, your existence, but then sometimes there can be leftover, right? And so then maybe that's like you talked about it being draining or, you know, sometimes I think of like the friend I had in college who was so funny, but he was just constantly just all he did was make like fun of his, his self, his weight, you know, and he was a big guy, um, like beautiful human being. Um, and, and he just had so much self-loathing, but he could make people laugh about it. And I think that's, that's all fine and good, but if you're not really laughing about it, it's not that funny. <laughs> like, so you can make people laugh, but then when you walk away, how do you feel about yourself? You know, and if you, and shit, dude, I'm saying like, if you want to make fun of yourself, like do it. But, but then there's a whole nother side of like knowing yourself and understanding like the duality and the stuff that you make fun of. There's a whole nother part of you that, that doesn't fit. Like, I loved it when you came out and did, I did, um, for those of you who don't know, I did this body positive, the skin we're in I'm doing central organ body positive projects. And um, you know, and Katie, like you, you make fun of yourself, which we all should make fun of ourselves because we're all kind of ridiculous, but like, you know, but I loved it because then, you know, you came out and we had this group of women and it's so powerful and all different shapes and sizes. And it didn't even matter because everyone looked beautiful and felt sexy and empowered. And, um, so I think that's like a good example of like, you going on stage, owning who you are, being able to laugh, but then you walking away and doing something empowering and owning who you are in a whole different way. Oh yeah. And that's the duality of it. Well, and that's, um, I'm always intrigued when people hear, you know, I call it my body positive material. Um, because really that that's what it's about almost for me, normalizing it. Or right. even just like the idea that I have a, you know, I have a forehead. So when, you know, when my hair is in the right position, I look like Ben Franklin, like, you know, like in some ways, sure, that's roasting myself. But at the same time, it's also normalizing. There's a lot of women that feel like they have foreheads and like, right. you know, or my front butt. We all have one. Well, not we all, but a lot of women have one. Like right. that's just, especially once you have kids and just like finding that positive spin and just being able to be somebody who like, stands in front of a crowd and says, I have this. Right. Ta-da. But it does, like, it can take a toll at the end of the night, like having put all that out there. Um, yeah. Like mm -hmm. it's, um, or when I, when I open up about the whole vasectomy thing, like I literally, that was all like true. And every time I do that, like it brings a little bit of those daddy issues up mm -hmm. and like, you know, and try, you know, it's like my brain kind of in the back starts working through it all again. Like it's, right. we deal with tough stuff. And so what do you do with it? Um, <laughs> such, I'm such a therapist, <laughs> uh, eat four burritos when I get home. Um, well the dad, like the, the dad material was literally like, okay, like that literally was like, what's the, What's the biggest hurt I'm feeling? What's the biggest thing I'm dealing with? What's the biggest, you know, emotional rock I carry around with myself every day? And let's, let's try to find humor. And mm -hmm. I think at, as I dug through that, I almost started to untangle it too and started to mm -hmm. like detach my self-worth from that situation. Right. So it's cathartic out. for you, the process. Yeah. yeah. But it definitely like 
oh, you know, I always say like audiences kind of want us to cut open our chest and like break our rib cage and show our heart and show, show that pain and like laugh through it because there it's, I don't want to say, you know, this is kind of a broad statement, but like someone's going to go through what you had been through and hearing you talk about it will, will normalize it um, and help somebody kind of work through it too. So it's important, but like, it's also terrifying to rip open your, your, you know, your rib cage like that. Um, Right. And for, and of course the point is laughter. And so also trying to kind of reconcile that, are they laughing with me or are they laughing at me? Especially when the focal point is your pain. (laughs) Right. I'm such a big quote person. And I had to, I wanted to look this up because I didn't want to butcher it because it's, I'm tired. And I also, but um, what you're talking about, you know, there's this quote by C.S. Lewis that I love. And it says, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what you too? I thought I was the only one. And I think that's kind of exactly what you're talking about. Like to, for people to be like, it's, I can relate to that. We are craving that. Like, uh, you know, as human beings, I think we crave that. I think right now, like collectively we're craving connection because we have this innate need for it and we're not getting it. And, you know, but, but also there's something so validating about someone speaking to your wounds and I think, you know, and that's a big part of, of my work, which has kind of been, it's like organically evolved from just being like a therapist to um, having like a, a good little social media uh, pod following what a pod I'm using, like COVID words, um, but following because uh, I, I grew up in like foster care and in the system and all this stuff. And I was like this kid who was like, I'm not going to be defined by that. And so I worked my way through college and did, you know, whatever bootstrap story, all that. Um, and I, I really didn't share that story a lot because I was like, that's not going to define me. But what has created the response that I've gotten is sharing. Like I started sharing the story about, you know, about my meth, meth head prostitute mom. And like, that sounds like a crass way to say it. But I mean, I started, I started telling the truth and it was like, that's that is what people wanted to hear. I was like, people, and then I can integrate my psychobabble in there with it. And like, you know, the success story and people like that, but really like people want, when you speak to their wounds and show them like strength within that, you know, it's, it's hugely healing. And, and it's like, uh, I'm going to go for another quote. I can't help myself. I'm like a walking, but, but I love this. Cause you know, I don't know if you know who Brene Brown is. But she talks about shame, of course, yes. And so she says, you know, shame cannot be met with grace and empathy and survive it. And I love that because what you're doing is you're getting on stage and you are like the things that people would be ashamed of or maybe hide or not want to talk about. You're like, here they are and people are laughing and they're loving you. So your shame can't be met or it's, it's met with empathy and grace and laughter and happiness and it doesn't survive, but also the people sitting in that audience, they hear that too. And that kind of dispels some of their shame. And I think it's like really important work, you know, that you guys are doing. I mean, I think it's, it's a really big deal. And, um, you know, the old readers digest, uh, laughter is the best medicine, right? 
but it goes beyond that. It goes beyond the like knock knock joke, haha, funny. It's it's like soul work. So yeah. yeah. So um, I want to talk about self care real quick because I think there's a couple things about self care that might be important here. For as the first thing I want to talk about is comedy is still kind of a male dominated field, and I feel like the term self care or the things that are like used as what you should do for self-care kind of have a feminine gender like a face mask. yeah have <laughs> like a a gender kind of tilt to them so what self-care would you recommend that maybe doesn't have that tilt to it if that makes sense yeah i mean you know it's funny because yeah like self-care is is this whole like i'm having a spa day i'm getting you know whatever but that's really not what it's about at all i think self-care is so such an individualized thing you know and so i think that it goes across genders and that you know maybe self-care for a dude is a face mask but also like maybe it's journaling maybe it's riding a bike maybe it's like literally zoning out and watching like a tv show because like you don't sit and do that very often or you know um gosh sometimes self-care for me is like getting a coffee and going for a drive you know um those kind of things sometimes is taken off to mexico but anyway <laughs> and that's great too or jumping on a parasail, you know, and so, but that's the other thing too. Like sometimes self-care, I have a friend who is an adrenaline junkie and has gone through some messy stuff and self-care for him is jumping out of a fucking airplane. And so, you know, which, which that's not self-care for everyone. And I think, and I think that people have to look at it. Like, so when I would say self, if you're asking yourself, like, how do I take care of myself in a, in a way that's not, because sometimes you know like sometimes for me self-care might be like um sitting with comfort food and feeling good and other times that can be self-harming right so it's it's looking like what do i need you know to feel good in this moment and i don't i don't think that there's any um there's any rule book or real limitations on it but i think we can trick ourselves just like with everything and you know, so I could say, uh, so, you know, an alcoholic can say, well, I'm self-care for me is like going home and having a bottle of wine, you know? And I'm like, okay, we've got to like, you know, you can, you can lie to your, <laughs> I'm not religious, but I always tell my kids, you can lie to me and you can lie to yourself, but you can't lie to the Lord in <laughs> any way, but right. I'm not, I'm not even religious. I just think <laughs> it's a funny thing to say. Um, but so, you know, you can, you can, you can lie to everybody around and you can even lie to yourself, but it, I guess, and I tell people this in therapy too. I'm like, you can come in here and lie to me and I might know, and I might not know. And it doesn't even actually matter because it's not about me. So like, if you, you know, or like I'm using, um, food for, you know, well, I'm going to go and, and sit and have eight burritos or whatever, um, right. you know, and, and that's just what feels good for me and it's self-care, but then like, you really feel shitty afterwards. Like, let's be honest, you know, or like people use drugs, sex, alcohol. I mean, all food, all the vices, right. I mean, too much of a good thing is, is too much, but I think it's just about being honest. So I would encourage people like outside of the moment where you really need that, like know the things that you can go to that make you feel good um, ahead of time 
And so sometimes you don't get a high hop a flight to Mexico and, you know, you um, go have a coffee with a friend and sit outside right now and freeze your ass off, but that's okay. You know, I did that tonight. I had a dinner with a friend and we sat outside and it was really cold, but it was still like so nourishing because I was with like my good friend and I got to catch up with her. And, and to me, that was completely self-care. So I don't, I don't know. And I, I know plenty of dudes that would like to, you know, take a bath and <laughs> do those kind of things. Um, but also like some that want to jump out of airplanes or, you know, read or whatever. So, um, yeah, that's funny. I've never really thought about that being like a feminine statement, but it totally kind of is right. Well, cause I feel like you, you see a lot of female presenting people, like you see it a lot from female presenting people. Like I'm doing a self-care day, like, so, you know, self-care is really, you know, has kind of turned into one of those like social media buzzwords that I almost start to like tune out now, but you don't (laughs) see that a lot for more male presenting people. Like it's not right. And, um, and as we were talking, like, um, one of the things that I, I, you know, I just had this light bulb moment. I think as comedians, we tend we tend to kind of give up our social lives. We tend to give up our hobbies, especially when it's not COVID and we're trying to do two to three open mics a week and shows every weekend. And, you know, you know, a lot of us have day jobs too. So there, we don't make time for that. Even if it's time simply to hang out with your friends one night or just have time for yourself. And that could be so important, especially since, you know, we're all playing with our shadows. Like, right. Yeah, you have to do it. So I do want to tell you, there's this book that I read last year. I just looked it up and I know, I mean, this doesn't necessarily, well, it could apply to you, but it talks about the toxic masculinity that we have in our society. And, you know, as like, obviously I work with a lot of women, I'm like a very like female centric uh, person, but but I also think that there's, I have a son and I'm like, I want him to like grow up and be able to like be emotionally intelligent and to understand these things. So this book called For the Love of Men by Liz Plank is the author. And it kind of goes into a lot of that. So if you, if it's something that, you know, you want to look into to understand like the roles that the roles and the pressure that, that we put on men in society and to- toxic masculinity and how to kind of, um, uh, work on some of that those thinking errors or whatever that's a really good book so when you were t- when you were saying that I was thinking about I was like what's that book I read so anyway um nice. because I think it is important and I think like it's not as acceptable for dudes in our society to be like like women we could read eat pray love shit all day long like I'm you know untamed <laughs> right. and I'm eating and praying and loving and I'm wild and all the things right <laughs> like and that's great but like, that's not as acceptable for dudes. And I think that's a really, really tragic thing in our society because it's like, um, you know, men are like living, breathing human beings with emotions and complicated brains and all of those things as well. So I, and especially like you said, in this field, which is male dominated, I think um, there's probably some huge benefits in really understanding, understanding the toxic masculinity and understanding yourself. Yeah. So, yeah. Definitely. Um, well, this went way over the 10 to 15 minutes. But oh. thank you. <laughs> She's fine with me. Thank you so okay. much for your time. We really appreciate it. Um, and I'll make sure like your, your contact information will be above the post, um, you know, for people to kind of follow along. And I'm sure the, this skin, the skin I'm in. Yeah. Skin oh, we're in. The skin we're in. 
that stuff will be coming out soon well eventually yeah I you know what and that's like I I'm we need to do an event and I feel like it's like I don't want to lose momentum by doing you know you understand like it's like you can only do so much online and I'm like I so I'm kind of like crossing my fingers and sitting on it for a minute but yeah I do plan on on doing a lot more with it and a lot within my practice too so yeah I'm super excited for that well thank you so much again and uh stay safe and have a good new year you too thanks Again, thank you to Christy Collins from Trauma Queen. Christy, for talking about that intersection between artistry and mental health. And of course, shout out to Beers and Business Cards and Craft Kitchen and Brewery for their support of the New Year New Joke Seminar this year. This week, I have a challenge for you, and it is not a writing exercise this week. Although, obviously, you still should be trying to write every day. But I want you to take some time this week and look into the idea of self-care. Like, what does what does self-care mean for you? And I will give you an example. Part of my self-care routine is every day I meditate for five minutes. Now, yes, meditation is difficult. I'm not saying I'm successful. Most days I can't seem to get, you know, my thoughts to, you know, silence. But the goal is to try, right? Um, and then like the basic bitch I am, <laughs> I read tarot cards every day. And then I also try to go for walks at least three times a week. Um, and then being really honest about my self-care, I'm also really digging into both my physical health and my mental health with my health team and looking to improve that. So that's that's kind of what I mean. I want you to check in and on be honest about your physical health and be honest about your mental health. And like this really is coming at a unique time for me. Like I recently opened up to my own doctor, not only about physical things I've been feeling, um, but about my anxiety and how it was affecting my life. And so I want to encourage you and let you know that it is totally okay to talk to your doctor or talk to your counselor, talk to somebody about what's going on and be honest about it. There is no shame in taking care of yourself and it is not going to make you a worse comic. Okay. That is something I have legitimately heard this before. I've had comedians tell me they have to be an alcoholic. They have to do a bunch of cocaine. They have to be quote unquote crazy because if they don't, they're not going to be as good on stage. And that shit is not true. <laughs> I actually think the clearer and healthier you are, the better comic you're going to become. Um, I will also tell you, as I'm getting on my mom perch here, um, I see the difference in the comedians I work with between when they get on stage and they're clear-headed and when they get on stage and they are not clear-headed. And by not clear-headed, I mean maybe having more drinks than they usually do or doing acid when they're not supposed to be or doing cocaine when they're not supposed to be. Whatever. I can see the difference. And I can promise you, you might feel like you're doing a better job, but I have yet to see a comedian blitzed out of their mind on stage do a better job. Okay? So... <laughs> That's all I'm going to say about that. But seriously, and these are fucked up times anyway, right, guys? Like, we are all stressing out. And, you know, comedy is starting to open up again, at least where I am, you know, very minimally, obviously in a very safe way. Don't at me about it. <laughs> um, and so it is so important to kind of make sure that you are ready 
for the challenge of coming back to comedy in a post-COVID world. So especially during these fucked up times, I want you to look into taking care of you um, and being honest about it and realizing, guys, self-care isn't just the stupid feminine, oh my God, I'm going to go get my nails done because, you know, hashtag self-care. Like, that's not what I mean. I mean, making sure that if you're, if you're like, well, anyway, I'm not going to make assumptions, but take care of you physically, take care of you mentally, take care of yourself. Okay. Cause all right. I am Katie Hypock, your comedy mom. And as always take your vitamins, take good care of yourself and don't be a dick on stage. <laughs>